0: Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast-creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson.
1: Today's episode features Maurice Anjibo Gray, who will be sharing the stories of her three angel babies and the birth of her daughter, which she describes as an extremely healing and restorative experience. We are honored to hear her truth today. Hello, Maurice. Welcome to the show thank you ladies thank you so much
2: i'm happy to be here
0: can you start off by telling a little bit about yourself and your family
2: yes um so i'm originally from philadelphia um, i'm actually a first generation american um, from haitian descent uh let's see where can i start my story um i actually came from the art and design world so i decided as a teenager that you know, I really loved design. I really loved illustration. Um, so I went to school for fashion um, in, in New York and, uh, you know, did that, built a career um, from that, worked in the industry for about 10 years. And then um, more recently kind of started feeling another calling um, and just recently trained as a full spectrum doula. <laughs>
0: We're biased. <laughs> We're like,
2: yeah, yeah. Super, super excited to be in this work to be doing this work. Um, and to just explore and learn and, you know, do what feels right for me. Um just something that's definitely more impactful. Not that fashion isn't great and not that I still don't have um this desire to always be creative and, you know, create in that realm um, when it comes to visual arts. But, you know, I feel like there's something else in me. um, And just my experiences have kind of led me to this. So, so yeah, full spectrum medulla. I now live in New Jersey with my husband and my 15 month old daughter. Can you tell us a
1: little bit about your pregnancy?
2: Yes. So, um, my first pregnancy was actually a few years ago. Um, I got pregnant unexpectedly. Um, I was shocked. <laughs> shocked. Was not even thinking about uh, having children at the time. Um, my husband and I actually at the time weren't married. We weren't living together. Um, we had talked about it, but um, you know, we just weren't there. I was still kind of trying to figure out even where I wanted to live. I was working in Manhattan, staying with a cousin in Brooklyn during the week, and then kind of heading back to Philly on the weekends. Um, So I was doing a lot. Um, I found out I was pregnant and was very shocked. Um, And then once I kind of got over the shock of it, I had the most joy and the most excitement that i had ever had about anything. so, you know, I started preparing for that pregnancy, started thinking about baby showers and planning my maternity leave and, you know, started to research um, doctors and, you know, different kinds of providers. And um, I had just recently seen the movie, The Business of Being Born, believe it or not. Um so, of course, I had in my mind, like, oh, I'm going to have a totally natural birth, and it's going to be unmedicated. And, you know, I just kind of went down a rabbit hole, as I'm sure most um, parents do when they find out that they're pregnant and they're excited about it. Um, so, I had had early spotting um, that I was concerned about, but I really didn't know much about, you know, pregnancy. You know, I I didn't realize I didn't know much, but I didn't, I I was concerned, but I didn't think too much about it. I raised the concerns with, um, the doctor that I was seeing at the time and she was pretty dismissive about it. Never, um, never really like mentioned it as being, um, anything that I should be worried about. So I kind of just continued on through my pregnancy, and then around 11 weeks, um, I started to get have some cramping with the spotting, um, and the spotting had started to get a little heavier. Again, I raised concerns with my doctor. Um, they did an ultrasound, and baby seemed fine. They saw heartbeat, and everything was okay. Um, and then I kind of went through that week, and it just seemed like the symptoms had gotten worse. Um, and by the end of that week, I was you know, having a full on spontaneous, natural miscarriage. That was very traumatizing. Um, because I had known nothing about miscarriage. I, I, I think at that point in my life, I'd known maybe two people that had them, but all I knew was just that they had a miscarriage. I knew no details about it. I knew nothing about what that meant physically for your body. Um, I just knew that. I thought that, you know, I probably thought the way a lot of people think about these things because, you know, it's taboo and, you know, people suffer with it in silence. Um is that, you know, you just lose a baby and it's almost as if the baby just vanishes. <laughs> um but that obviously did not happen. I my experience was I was essentially in in labor. You know, I had contractions. My water had broken, um, and you know, my baby passed through my womb. And you know, I saw him there. Um, him, I'm I'm saying him because I'm you know I didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, but in my mind it was a boy. Um, Yeah, so that was a really traumatizing experience. And when I had gone back to my doctor after that, um, then she started bringing up how common miscarriage was. And for me, that was like, I just, I was so confused and so upset that she had never thought to even have the discussion with me about (laughs) miscarriage um, and what that could look like if and and the fact that you know the spotting was kind of an early sign not that it means you're gonna have a miscarriage but maybe this is a conversation that you know you should we should have just so that you're aware that you know it's common and um these things do happen and let me just prepare you in case this is a possibility um so yeah (laughs) I was super devastated. Um, I had never felt that kind of emotional pain before. And I was almost shocked by it because, you know, I had found out I was pregnant around seven weeks and I'd really only had like a month of knowing about this pregnancy. But this was part of me, you know, this was my baby and I had. I mean, as far as I could, as as far as I was concerned, it was like I was already planning this child's future and, you know, that was now all stripped away, so.
0: I'm just thinking about the piece that you said of the way that we talk about miscarriages is um, they happen and then the baby's gone. There's no real depth to what that means. Yeah. that piece of where you said what physically happens to your body yes that, um, many of us don't don't know that yeah that it, it it is essentially for some people like you're in labor yeah um you know you're passing through that process and so um i don't it just it hit me so hard when you said like just about this idea of how we think about miscarriages like it yeah. happens Baby's gone and that's it. There's no discussion right. of, of, of what actually occurs. Um, right, that.
2: exactly, exactly. And, and you would think for something to be so common that we would have a much stronger understanding of it. But as a whole in society, we just don't, we don't. Um, and there are a lot of reasons for that. <laughs> um, and I'm hoping to be part of the movement to change those reasons, yeah.
0: So you, um, what was processing and healing like after that?
2: So after that loss, um, I really honestly just feel like I just survived it. You know, I, I continued to work. Um, I cried a lot. Um, I I kind of took a deep dive into just, at the time, there were a lot of forums. Um, this was actually before this was during Facebook, but i I don't even know if Facebook groups were like a big thing. so I would just do crazy searches on Google just to find forums about loss, and that was kind of where I lived, <laughs> you know, reading about other people's stories, um reading articles, and just kind of becoming a bit more enlightened about, you know how common it is, but then also how devastating it is for so many, for so many families. Um, and yeah, I kind of lived in that world and, and I was also planning a wedding. So my husband and I had gotten engaged, um, maybe a couple months after we had the loss and I kind of just, you know, distracted myself by, um, planning this wedding and, Then (laughs) a couple weeks before we got married, um, I found out I was pregnant again, (laughs) oh boy. So this again was another surprise. Um, And I tried to put the stress of, you know, having that other loss out of my mind. And again, like thinking that, oh, miscarriage is common. So there's nothing saying that like, this will happen again. There was no indication of that. So I tried to just focus on the positive and, you know, just continued on with um, pursuing, you know, better care, at least I thought was better care um, for the second pregnancy. So I was like, you know, again, like, I still want to have the natural birth. Like I want to, you know, go about it in that way. And I want to see midwives and I want to give birth in a birthing center. Um, but I had had early spotting again. So I decided to try to find an obstetrician that was, um, that also practiced with midwives, which is what I did. Um, and I had gotten to, I think my 11th week appointment and, um, had like a gush of blood didn't know what it was from of course i thought i was miscarrying again um but it turned out it was something called a subchorionic hematoma which is um just basically like a blood clot that is between the placenta and the uterine wall not to get all medical but (laughs) 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 these are also fairly common um, Again, another thing that I was just like totally kind of taken off guard by um, and there was no follow up. So it was initially diagnosed while I was seeing um, one of the midwives and she never followed up with me about it. So I never knew that that's what it was. So I, I got like the official um, diagnosis after like being afraid from that gush and rushing to the emergency room. So um, they told me that eventually it would subside um, if I took it easy, which I did, and it did. The, the bleeding eventually went away. Um, I had gotten well into my second trimester, and things seemed to be going just fine. Um, I had even gotten that initial, um, the first anatomy scan where they let you know the sex of the baby. and all those good things. And um, everything seemed great. I was having a baby boy and, um, you know, I thought everything was totally on the up and up. Then I got to about 19 weeks and um, I just had like these strange feelings in my abdomen. And it almost just felt like I had like some kind of upset stomach. I didn't know what it was. And um, it had continued throughout this one Sunday. And, um, you know, it sort of started to become more persistent. But again, I I didn't know anything about it. I didn't think anything of it. I thought that this was normal. I even asked a friend who um, was pregnant at the time. She was a little further along than I was. And I asked her about it. Um, and if she had ever felt anything like that. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, those are normal. Like, signs of pregnancy. Like there's all kinds of stuff happening in your uterus and it's growing and this that and the other. So yeah, you're going to feel all kinds of things. Um, but this was actually not normal. (laughs) I, um, later that evening I went to the bathroom and here we go again, another gush of blood. Um, so of course I tell my husband, we have to rush to the emergency room, um, which we did. And That was the most tragic and traumatic experience. Um, I got in there, was kept in the emergency room for hours, hours before um, I was able to see a doctor. And by the time I'd seen a doctor, um, they just wanted me to go up to have an ultrasound done and then come back down to the ER, which is what I did. And then a couple more hours had gone by, gone by and as time had been just passing away um, the symptoms just kept getting worse the bleeding started getting heavier I, I didn't know what was going on but i could still feel you know my son moving so i thought of course like even in the times when you you trying to think positive seems completely insane you still try to think a miracle can happen. Um, So the bleeding continued to get worse. And then eventually a doctor did come in and said that um, they saw the ultrasound results and it looked like my cervix had been um, opening. And this is obviously something you don't want to happen at 19 weeks pregnant. Um, So he wanted to consult with another doctor that um, an obstetrician from the L and D department who eventually came down and um, spoke with me. And this was a black doctor. Um, so I thought that I was going to be in good hands. Um, but I was not. So <laughs> my very harsh disappointment, um, she was very cold and callous and just swiftly gave me the diagnosis of having an incompetent cervix and said that at this point there was nothing they could do um, and that I was just gonna have to deliver the baby and I was just gonna have to try again. So um, she continued to tell me that they had to induce labor um, and really gave me very little time to even think about what was happening or ask questions or, you know, to find out if there were alternatives or if there was anything that they could even try to do to save uh, my pregnancy or at least keep my cervix from continuing to open. Um, And she pretty much without my official consent, um, gave me a servidil. She gave me a cervadil suppository. Um, so she shoved it inside of me without, <laughs> without any warning, without any, anything. Um, and then proceeded to tell the other hospital staff in the ER to just give me whatever I wanted for the pain and um, told them that they had to keep me in ER because I wasn't 20 weeks. I was only 19 weeks pregnant. I wasn't 20 weeks So therefore, I couldn't be transferred up to L&D. So that was, I mean, I can't even, I I still to this day can't even, there are no words to describe what that was like. Um, My husband was there and he was in complete shock and he was frozen because he did not know, like there was just so much happening so fast and there was nothing that any of us, (laughs) that either of us, uh, felt like we could do in that moment. Um, so I ended up staying in L and D for hours and hours and hours, kind of just labor, him and I just there, um, me just laboring without, being checked on by the nurses. I, sorry, that wasn't LD. I was in ER. I wasn't being checked on by the nurses. Um, no one was following up with us, and I just remember just kind of being in a haze of pain um, and like constantly asking, like pressing the button to ask for someone to come and tell me what was going on, what I should be expecting, what what was you know what was next. Like I wasn't getting anything. Um, finally shifts had changed and I did get a nurse who came in and I finally was able to to advocate enough for her to um, call up to L&D and have me transferred up to L&D so we were transferred up we encountered much nicer staff um, but still it was the most awful experience um, I've ever had in my life and It was like the trauma of losing the second child, um, just being compounded by, you know, having this awful care and this awful like inhumane treatment. That was a
0: lot. (laughs) We talk about having the importance of representation, the importance Mm -hmm. of having people who look like us. Um and just how important that is, yeah. And then when you get it, like you said, you're expecting it to be like, "I'm safe, I'm good, yes. I'm I'm gonna be cared for." I know that this is about to be, um, this is about to change, yeah. And then to be fucked over, exactly. Like so
2: dismissive, and so dismissive, and abusive. I mean, that was abuse mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. And now, you know, that this was a few years ago. So where my mind goes to now as angry as I still am about that whole experience. Um, I then go back to thinking about the doctor and it's like, we are complicit in these systems that oppress us. Um, and, it makes me think about what she had experienced because the the hospital that I had attended, um, it's mostly white staff and, you know, in New Jersey, that's, I mean, if you look at a lot of these L and D departments and a lot of these birth spaces, um, they tend to be majority white, of course. And, especially at that level, especially at the level of an obstetrician, you know, some, a specialist. um, And I don't know what else she was up against. You know, I don't, I, I feel like there's a hazing that happens in this, in this world. And, you know, she's dealing with the hazing of just being an MD, but then also being a black woman within that space. So, it's almost as if she has dis- dissociated from these encounters that she has with, with people that she's supposed to care for, you know? And it's almost like her way of, um, of protecting herself. And I know a lot of doctors do this, but I just can't imagine that extra layer of burden <laughs> that black doctors carry. Um, and not to, I'm definitely not giving her a pass. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, you're a human being, no matter what. So, you know, you need to remember that every day you step out of this house, that you're a human, every day you step out of your house, you're a human being. The, The fact that you decided to get into this profession was to help people, not to harm. And, you know, that's where the anger comes from. But then there's also the part of me that can't help but to think about all the other layers and you know how you know she's flawed just like the rest of us
0: yeah (laughs) there are so many but that but that even and you know i think the part that's so irritating and disheartening and and frustrating to think about is like even in your such a vulnerable and um, intense moment that you and your husband are going through um, and like reflecting back on it you still trying to like reflect on her experience and how that then impacted your experience yeah yeah like that's yeah. that's just and I mean it just demonstrates how and Im- how important caring for people and how sacred of a of a job that is to Mm -hmm. be able to support people during yeah
2: yeah yeah it's like you have to you have to be responsible for your own healing in that sense to be able to support others to be able to care for others you also have to do the work for yourself because otherwise you do end up Doing harm, <laughs> you know, you're creating a bigger problem, and I think that's what you know. So many people who are in these who are who are in that field in the in the provider fields, um, they start to forget that, and yeah, um, that's also what makes birth work so important because you know. Doulas can be that bridge. You know what I mean. We can be that 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 voice, that advocate, um, that person to remind you know our clients, and then also remind their providers. Like, hey, remember, all humans, all struggling with things. <laughs> There are so many layers that we need to consider, and maybe we just need to take a step back and slow it down and just remember like, we're all supposed to be here for a greater good.
1: Can I just say I'm angry? And that's why I'm not saying much. Yes. And and that's how I'm I'm holding the space for the story, and I'm angry. Yeah. I'm fresh yeah. because this is new to me and you have dealt with it on your own level and dealt it and, and healing from it and I am angry yeah. with you Mommy. for you Mommy. Yes. I'm just going to hold my anger for a little bit yes <laughs>
0: you are entitled Danielle you are entitled <laughs> <laughs> But look her up.
1: Now. right <laughs> exactly
0: Danielle and I roll up. Roll up.
1: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm like, I might have to send you guys a little email later. Like, I'm going to direct you to the Earth app. Yes. I'm going to do. Yeah. Uh, that's a little bit. With that. I'd, yes. I, that experience. And put them on record.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and that's one thing that, um, it's funny cause I had, I had remembered her name for a couple years. Right. And then recently it escaped me. Um, and so like a few days ago I asked my husband, I was like, do you remember what the doctors and before I could even finish the sentence, he remembered that name and he was like, oh yeah, I know. And I know exactly how to spell it. And it's a complicated name, but he knew and that is something that says a lot to me of how deeply that you know is kind of plastered in his mind it's like I know exactly who she is I know exactly what she looks like
1: <laughs> the love is a healing right there yeah so like, oh, it's in the seal forgetfulness and he's like nah bruh <laughs> we still rolling up never." <laughs>
2: oh my gosh yeah 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 still processing still processing
0: that's a that's a lot to process from yeah yeah um and and also taking in consideration that this was another loss yes like you you lost a child that day
2: Mm. Um, yeah yeah and i think about um Just like, again, in hindsight, like, I think about all the things that I wish I had had in those moments, the kind of support, um, and the things that I like wish I had done and, you know, I, I have, obviously I, I, you do what you do in those moments and that is right at that time, you know? that that has to be right at that time because you're just surviving it. Um, but then it, it just, it definitely makes me think about all that people could and should be made aware of when they are encountering these types of things and having those losses um, and dealing with, you know, maybe, people around them who aren't being as supportive, um, who aren't showing them that care. Um everyone deserves it. You know what I mean? Everyone deserves, everyone deserves someone to be there in a non-judgmental fashion, um who can give them information, who can give them options, you know, who can be patient, <laughs> you know, and just kind of allow them to go through this in the best way that they can so
1: yeah
0: um so you're healing and processing from that birth yes again
2: yes healing and processing um of course i went down a rabbit hole again of you know her giving me this diagnosis of having an incompetent cervix and what does that mean and what steps can I take and how can I be proactive about, you know, if I ever am to get pregnant again, which I did, uh, not too long after that, about five months later, um, my husband and I somehow conceived again. And, um, I decided like, okay, I'm going to do all the research on the top doctors who, um, manage, you know, cervical issues, who kind of specialize in cervical issues. Um, I had did all this reading about different things you could do. So there's a circlage that you can get. Um, there are different ones. I was like, I want the best one. I want to go to the best doctors um, for that. Um, and I want to have, you know, a doctor to really be on top of my care. You know, I want, I want someone who is not playing any games, with following up with me, who, um, you know, has all the technology and all the everything, um, because I thought that that's what I needed at the time, Um, so I did. I did that, um, found really awesome practice of MFMs in New York, and um, I had gone to get um, something called a TVCIC. It's a it's a vaginal circlage. Um, but it's one that's placed pretty high on your cervix. It's a suture that's placed pretty high on your cervix and it had like super high success rates. Um, so i had done all the things I, you know, was just making sure that I was being very vigilant in this pregnancy. Um, and it seemed to have been going fine, but I did the early, um, Chromosome chromosome um, screening, and in that screening, the doctors found that I had something called low path A, which is um, it's like a protein that they screen for, and you know mine was below the normal level. Um, but they still haven't done enough research on it to know what it means exactly. The only thing that they found is that it's um, you have a higher association with possibly developing preeclampsia later in pregnancy. Um, there is a slightly higher association with, um, with stillbirth. Um, but there, there really is, there was no treatment plan. Um, there is no treatment plan that exists for this, for this marker. So what they decided was, you know what, we'll just bring you in every two weeks for an ultrasound, just to make sure things are going fine. And things have been, I had gotten all the way to, um, my 28th week appointment, Um, and I had gone in to get an ultrasound and the radiologist from that practice really, really sharp, um, has been doing this for decades and, um, he's kind of, you know, really meticulous about looking at ultrasounds. Um, so he noticed that, um, my baby's umbilical cord was something called hypocoiled, which means that, uh it wasn't there you know there's like a coiling pattern in umbilical cords and the coiling wasn't really exist it it didn't really exist in um my child's umbilical cord it was pretty flat so this was a concern but the thing that that can typically be connected to is um, maybe if the baby's heart rate has kind of been irregular or if um you know, he wasn't growing properly um, or at least wasn't growing at the, at the rate that they would have expected at that point. But it, his growth had been fine. His heart rate had always been okay. Um, so all they could do was just try to watch me more closely. Um, so the following week, I was supposed to start coming in for weekly scans. But um, a few days later, I was just, you know, Going about my day, it was a Saturday, and um, babies seemed to be having regular movement during the early part of the day, but as the day had gone on, I just noticed that the movements just seemed like they had faded away. Um, so of course, with my history, <laughs> you know i got really nervous and uh again said to my husband hey i think we should just go to the local er um not the er but the local hospital the same hospital again but i was like well we're going to bypass er we're not going to go to er we're going to go straight up to lnd and we're going to demand to get an ultrasound so that's what we did um and sure enough got up there, told them, Hey, I haven't felt movement in a few hours. Like I need to know that my baby's okay. Um, so they rolled out this old rickety ultrasound and tried to do a scan, searched and searched for a heartbeat, could not find a heartbeat. So basically the world just totally disappeared from under me. (laughs) Um, I was just kind of in a again another state of shock, and just you know, you know how you, have you ever had an experience where you're like this? This has to be a dream. Like this has to be a nightmare. There's just no way that this can be happening again. How? Why? Why? Um, and all I could think was like, in order to to make this dream, really a dream, then I couldn't have been pregnant. Like that's, that's kind of where my mind went. I couldn't have been pregnant. So you know what? We have to just get the baby out right now. Like that's where my mind went. Like we just have to get the baby out because there's no way that this is happening to me again. Um, But my husband had the good idea to like call my actual doctors um, that were in New York. So He called them up and they were like, you know, listen, like, why don't you wait a night? We will set everything up at the hospital that we practice Um, and, you know, you can come in tomorrow and we can talk through all the options when you come in tomorrow. Just go home, sleep on it, you know, try to at least, you know, settle, settle your, your nerves a little bit, and let's have some time to talk about it tomorrow. So thank God that they had done that um, because I also had the added procedure of removing the cerclage, which is not something that anyone should opt to do with any provider that does not know their medical history or does not know where the placement of that cerclage was. <laughs> um, So that's what I did the next day. We took the drive up to New York, went to the hospital where my doctors were, and um, I had my cerclage removed and they induced labor for me to give birth to my um, son who was deceased at that point. So um, that was, again, I can't even put into words, what having that loss was like, but it was such a vast difference of care um, that I received from, from these doctors and the patience and compassion um, that they showed me, um, just the time and the space and the understanding of, of the, the, the weight of all of this was you know, just I, I can't even there's there's nothing that compares to that, you know, in and, and those moments when you really feel like that support again was there the way that it hadn't been before. So, um so yeah, I gave birth to my son and we had him cremated and uh yeah, then was we started on another really <laughs> long, long road of trying to make sense of things and trying to heal.
1: What's your son's name? Ellison. Ellison.
2: Yeah. I actually named all three children. Um, My first was Carter. The second was Stokely, um, after Stokely Carmichael. And um, Ellison
1: yeah let those names sit there absolutely let them hang in the air yeah um do you
0: as part of this journey of healing um were there specific things that the two of you were doing um
2: so after this after the last loss um Prior to that, I, I I almost feel like I just, I wasn't very, um, I didn't necessarily take like any particular steps to try to heal. I just kind of went with the flow, um, cried a lot. Um, I, I think I'd gotten into like, more of just like listening to things, like listening to podcasts. And um, now I'm like a podcast junkie, obviously. I listen to your podcasts. (laughs) Um, But that was kind of like the start of that. Like I just needed to hear things to kind of help calm my spirit and um, just almost like escape. Um, So yeah, like that was probably the one thing that I was doing after the first two losses, and then after the third, I was like, oh no, I need to be way more proactive about how I'm going to go about getting support that I need through this. Um, Because I also have really, I can't even say this enough, but like really, really great friends and family. Um, But They were also experiencing vicarious trauma from all that I was going through. And they also have their own struggles and their own lives. And this was like something so foreign to them that I knew I couldn't just lean on them. Like I needed something else. Um, So I decided, you know what, I'm going to find a therapist who specializes in pregnancy complications and loss Um, so I did that. And then this time I finally joined a support group, um, which to this day, I still, I still attend the support group every month. Um, so yeah, those were things that, you know, I made sure were like just part of my regular care and my regular routine of, um, of healing and then you know as time had gone on i started getting into aromatherapy and um yeah like a little bit of meditation i didn't go too crazy on that but just allowing myself to remember to breathe and you know remember to you know when i feel myself you know feeling anxious um to remember that <laughs> there's trauma that lives in me and, you know, I have to hold the space for it. So, so yeah, those were things that, um, that I just continued to do, um, over the course of the next, I think it was like a year and a half, um, before I got gotten pregnant again. So. It's
0: about your daughter's pregnancy.
2: Yes, 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 yes. I meant this. Um, So I found out I was pregnant again, I think the following, well, this is 2018. Um, And what's interesting is the day that I found out I was pregnant um, is actually, there's a memorial that happens every um, October for parents who have lost children. Um, And I was going to the memorial that, that day. And that morning I found out I was pregnant. Um, which again was a surprise. Um, my husband and I had started trying maybe a few months before that, but, you know, I I got to the space where I was kind of like, you know, what? I also don't want to put pressure on me in that way. I just kind of want to let things go with the flow. Um, prior to getting pregnant again, of course, I, again, do what I always do. I always try to find some type of answers. (laughs) for maybe what happened or some ways that I can, you know, prepare myself, um, for anything for a future pregnancy or anything that will come up in the future. Um, and there was nothing that they could find to kind of connect why I had had these losses. Um, you know, I, there was nothing in my genetics or, you know, nothing that my husband maybe was a carrier of, or, anything. There was no connection. Um, So there was nothing, again, saying that I couldn't go on to have, you know, a healthy pregnancy and carry to term and deliver a live baby. So when I got pregnant again uh, with my daughter, I felt like, you know, I had to, I had to kind of duel myself through the process (laughs) and tell myself, you know what, I just have to take it a day day at a time um, and be happy and find peace in the fact that, you know, I am a birth giver. Um, I'm able to carry another life, you know, no matter how short, no matter how long, you know, she's living today. Um, And that's kind of how I had gone through that pregnancy. Um, I had gotten through like the first trimester pretty well, mostly because I had terrible morning sickness, which was, with each pregnancy, I had terrible morning sickness. So that was kind of a way to distract myself from any anxiety. Um, And I had gone through, uh, gotten to about 26 weeks. And then I started feeling, you know, the nerves and the anxiety starting to kind of build up. Um, and me and my, uh, the practice that I was seeing, of course, I had gone back to the same doctors again. Um, I've really felt like I was in trusted, um, compassionate hands with them. There was one doctor in particular who, you know, I just had like a really personal connection with. She was the one that was there at the hospital with me, um, when I gave birth to my son, um. And she was super available, um, always, again, like, just so sensitive. And she had also, like, made sure to kind of keep all the other doctors in the practice on high alert for the attention that I might need throughout my pregnancy. So, so I felt very, I felt protected there. Um, so when I got to about 26 weeks, started feeling very nervous and anxious and, you know, uh you know some of those like memories kind of kept coming back um and they would tell me you know what anytime you feel like you just want some reassurance then come in you don't need to call you don't need to make an appointment like just come in we have ultrasounds right here in the office we can always do that for you um and they were like you know and if you at the beginning of this pregnancy, I decided I'm, I just need to get to 37 weeks. That was my thing. I just need to get to 37 weeks, and I'm going to elect to have an induction at 37 weeks. So they were like, you know, if you if you want to do that, we can still do that. We're only about 10 weeks away. You know, we can still do the elected induction at 37 weeks. Um, so that, of course, made me feel a lot better. Got closer to the 37 weeks and decided that, you know, I felt like I could, um, I had the strength to kind of keep myself calm enough to push it to 39 weeks. (laughs) Um, So that's what I did. I got to 39 weeks and was like, let's get her out.
0: (laughs) I hear that. Yeah. Um, But your statement of, I am a birth giver. No matter how short, how long I'm doing this yeah, uh, that's powerful. yeah, that's really powerful man that's powerful. Um, tell us about Memphis's birth.
2: <laughs> so that the day that I gave birth to her, it was so calm, at least heading to the hospital. Um, I just felt like I finally made it. Like I finally got to this point. Um yeah, it was there was just like a sense of peace that had come over me. Um at least heading to the hospital. Um so we got to the hospital and honestly it felt like I was checking into a hotel, you know? Like it was just like, oh, there was there was almost some excitement amongst the hospital staff. I felt like everyone knew my story. So I'm like, okay, we'll get you set up in your room and, you know, just settle in. We'll, you know, start the induction in a couple of hours. So, um, that's what happened. I, I got in there and, you know, I had all these thoughts about how I wanted to try to labor. Um, it wasn't, you know, the the spontaneous labor like I had always envisioned you know um, but I was like you know what I can still I still have choices within this so even though I know I was being induced I have choices of how I'm going to be induced um, I also figure you know I'm not going to say no to an epidural but I would like to try to at least get through this labor without you know um medical pain management uh i would like to try to move around as much as i can so i did i would take off those monitors (laughs) every once in a while um and you know go to the bathroom and do things like that um but then also I would like rush back to put the monitors on because that of course was like a sense of comfort and peace for me. Um, My eyes were glued to the monitors because sometimes they would just turn off the volume. So I would just like watch my daughter's heart rate the whole time. Um, So I had done that for a while. I got all the way to um, probably about eight centimeters. I'd ask them to break my water. Like I did all the things that like, I probably never would have thought I would ask for or do had I not gone through what I had gone through before. Um, Cause my whole thing was like, she's safer on the outside. So as quickly as we can get to, you know, me pushing her out, that is better for her. <laughs> um, so yeah, I got to, I got to about eight centimeters. I think they had broken my water maybe like a couple hours before that. And things got really, really, really intense. Um, and I also you know, the entire labor was just wired, you know, because I just, I had to make sure that I could always hear her heartbeat or I could always see her heartbeat on the monitor. So I was exhausted by that time. I think I probably, I was probably in labor for, at at that point, I was probably laboring for about um, like nine hours, like nine or 10 hours. Um, So when things got really tense, I just remember <laughs> one of my doctors coming in and I was having contractions back to back. Like I wasn't getting a break at all. And um, one of the doctors, she came in really calmly, um, really gentle. She was like, you know, so tell me again, why is it that you, um, you don't want to have an epidural? And I had to really think about that for myself. Cause I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, well into active labor, nothing to slowing my labor down at this point. Um, and I am like really struggling here. Like I'm struggling with this, but I just knew that I didn't want to have anything put in me where I couldn't feel my baby come out of me alive. So I said to her, like, I just, I know that the last time I had an epidural was when I gave birth to my son And I was numb from, you know, pretty much the waist down. So I said to her, like, I just, I need to feel her coming out. I need to feel her coming out. And the doctor was like, it's, she's like, I understand like why you want this to be a different experience. And she was like, and it will be, she's like, we can just, if you need some pain relief, we can give you an epidural that's just going to take the edge off the pain. She was like, I promise you will still feel everything. (laughs) You will still be able to push. At this point, it seems like you might need some extra help. So that was almost like an aha moment. Like, yes, yes, I can. Yes, I can. I'm I'm all right. with. (laughs) If that's how it can be, then I'm all right with that. And sure enough, that's what happened. I got the epidural and it just calmed me down and gave me the chance to rest for about 15 minutes and I, f- I still felt everything. I just wasn't feeling that like sharpness of the pain. So I was just able to relax. Like it really just helped me to relax. And I slept for maybe like 15 minutes and um, sure enough, it was time to push after that. <laughs> It was time to push and I think I pushed her out in less than 20 minutes. I don't even, I, I know that I pushed three times and she was out and came out and introduced herself by yelling and screaming. <laughs>
0: <laughs> my girl said, I'm here. Hello. Yes.
1: <laughs> You're giving me all the joy.
0: Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. It was a very, very, very beautiful, joyful moment. Um, and overall, like the the entire labor really was joyful. Like, you know, I feel like it takes, it takes a long time to process your birth story, a long time. And you go back to it and, you know, certain things come up in your mind and like you may feel one way about it one day and then you feel a different way about it, you know, a few weeks later. Um, but, you know, now that... I'm 15 months out from that time, (laughs) you know, I look back and I'm just like, you know, I really am so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for, you know, my mother was there, my husband was there. Um, and I just felt really supported in that moment and just really happy, really, really happy. So how was your postpartum experience with
1: Memphis?
2: It was actually really great. I mean, the first, so I, um, I decided to breastfeed. Um, and you know, that is, I think that's nerve wracking for any, any parent that decides to, you know, uh, nourish their child that way, because you're always concerned about all the things like, is she getting enough or, you know, um, am I doing this right? Or just everything. Um, But I'd I'd done enough consulting with other friends who had done it um, and my mother who had done it and, you know, reading enough about postpartum. I actually um, was reading a book um, a few months before I went into labor um, called The First 40 Days. Um, So, no, not the first I did read the first 40 days, but it wasn't It was the fourth trimester, actually That's what I was reading Um, The the fourth trimester And just, you know, really like Letting it sink in of how much Of a beast postpartum can be And how little so many people prepare for it Um, And it's, again, it's one of those things That we don't talk enough about You know, women don't share Or not just women, but families Don't share enough about how difficult and isolating that time can be um and how important it is to really kind of set up your support and you know just make sure that like you're not alone you know what I mean that like you have people to lean on um that you have professionals who could be in place to help you through if you are if you do decide to to you know um, breastfeed or chest feed you know it's it's having all of those things in place so that when you're actually in the throes of it, you know that you're not scrambling at the last minute trying to um, think when you really can't think. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Think yeah. when you can't think. Yeah. <laughs> but I know who. Whose phone to dial. <laughs> yes,
2: exactly, exactly. Have those mills planned, those, those uh, mills, that mill train set up. <laughs> Have your auntie or whoever that has to come by to do a little cleaning for you, whatever it is.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. I cannot, we cannot thank you enough for sharing your stories with us. Thank you. Thank you for,
2: for allowing me this time and space. I feel like being able to share it. Um, I mean, I hope that it helps someone else. Um, but it's really helpful for me. It's, it's part of that healing, just being able to talk about it. Um, I feel like every time I, you know, mention any part of my experience, um, it kind of it forces me to kind of uh, just really like think critically about my emotions at that time and maybe how they've changed. Um, and then like, you know, it also helps me to, to really think about how I can be instrumental, you know, in helping other people. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you.
0: <laughs> well, is there anything else that you want to share with listeners, resources, advice, anything else from your stories?
2: Oh, yes. Um, Well, I definitely want to thank you two for having this platform Um, and sharing stories that aren't always neatly packaged up, (laughs) you know, they don't always have this, you know, perfect ending. I think it it definitely allows people to hear um, that even in some of the most difficult times, you always have options, um, you always have choices, and that you have to do what is best for you and you know where your heart leads you. Um, I definitely think that you know we really have a lot of work to do when it comes to um just having better rituals around incorporating loss into life Um, there are some other cultures that you know loss is is an integral part of life and they celebrate it as such you know, and I think that that would actually help when it comes to the healing process. Cause I believe that, you know, our healing isn't, it's not something that we own as individuals. It's, it's really a community, um, effect. You know, I think that it takes a community for any one of us to heal. Um, so yeah, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> as a doula, um, that that is how I can be instrumental and in kind of helping people through, you know, these types of experiences, the way that, you know, I wish that I had, you know, I wish I had someone who um, could empathize with me on a deeper level and is really just there for me, you know, someone who's gonna be unbiased and non-judgmental, and someone who can, you know, help me navigate these types of things. Um, you know, my experience with loss was one thing, but there are so many families that, you know, battle infertility who, that is a whole other beast of a process. And, you know, they do it in isolation. Um, and that should never be. Um, I think it's also about helping people navigate fertility in general. Um, because it is a vital sign, you know, it is, it is life-giving and it is part of all of us. <laughs> so yeah, just kind of like raising the awareness for these conversations and for people to know that that support is out there for them. Um, I think it's so important. <laughs> oh, and resources. <laughs> um, when it comes to loss, Uh, there's a couple of really awesome resources. So, of course, because I'm a podcast junkie, um, Sisters-in-Laws, Erica McAfee, she is doing some really amazing things. Um, She even has a training program now for bereavement doulas, um, which is just so awesome. And I feel like her podcast is just... (sighs) no one wants to be part of this club, but to know that there are other people who are going through things that can be similar to you, um, it just, it really helps keep you lifted in a way, you know, when you don't feel like you're totally alone. Um, So yeah, I'm, Will always shout out her podcast for sure. Um, Still Birthdays is also another website where there is like a huge wealth of resources there, not just for families who have had losses, but also for, um, you know, friends of those individuals. Um, if you just have no idea what to do for someone and that and that's going through that, and you would like to support them, um, that's a really great resource as well. Um, to kind of just help guide people and you know give them information um, but beyond that yeah support groups are huge they are they exist there are so many of them and you know they are really not that hard to find i would say a lot of people could probably just start with their local hospital um, and social workers who usually work in L&D, they usually administer these types of um, groups. So, so, yeah, those are also really, really great ways to start.
0: Have to double back that sisters-in-loss, Erica, is.
2: Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes.
2: Beautiful, beautiful soul. Yes. Definitely. Yes.
0: And again, all this will be in the show notes. Yes. So to click <laughs> and get where you need to go. um we can't say thank you enough we we can't um it was it was it's it's always an honor but it was an honor holding space for you today so thank you thank you thank you you for holding space it's so
2: nice to see your lovely faces
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh
1: yes I just want to say like shout out to the moms who have suffered and healed through miscarriages mm-hmm. and and do different things with that, whether that's in your case of keeping trying, right? Because mm-hmm. people just stop because it's unbearable, right? Yeah. And then, like, the courage it takes to keep going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is a resilience that you
2: never imagine having, um, and these are the times when you are truly tested and it brings out, you can either be defined by it or you can grow from it. Um, and I think for most of us, we grow and we learn so much about our strengths and it's, there's so much beauty in it because I think it just helps us realize, truly realize how precious each moment is, how precious the love that we have in our heart is for others. Um, and yeah, I think that there is a common there. That is definitely a common characteristic that you will find with a lot of a lot of parents who have had loss and just parents in general you know what I mean but but people and human beings I think it's it's in all of us and you know we all go through different experiences to kind of help us realize that about ourselves
0: yes 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 well thanks for listening to thanks. birth stories in color to hear this show and other episodes head to birthstories